It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hello and welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And today we are going to be discussing American icons. Myself and Brian Kilmeade among them. Right. Finally talk about <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> when are you going to write a book about us? Right. Just us. I mean, this Frederick Douglass, Lincoln, right. Booker T and Teddy Roosevelt. Like, they're good. Right. But we're great. I always thought, would it be better to write about somebody dead or somebody that could sue me alive? Oh, right? definitely dead people. Because you can write anything about <laughs> right. dead people. Absolutely. What are they going to do? Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt called. Nope. He doesn't. He does not call. Doesn't even know a phone. No, but he was that fancy lad. Right. So he was. What do you mean was, by fancy? So he was sickly as a child, which I learned from your book. I didn't know that, but because I always, we always think of Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, by the way, the book Teddy and Booker T. How two American icons blazed a path for racial equality. And before we get go your any copy further. now, it is out. Uh, and also go to BrianKillMe.com, find out where I'll be. BrianKillMe.com, signed books, right. appearances, and a great Christmas and Hanukkah present right here. Right. Yeah. You can get them for both. Mm-hmm. Um, what was going to say? You, your knowledge of history is so underrated. People think, oh, she likes music. She's from MTV. Oh, she likes the news. But you actually love history. I love I history. Correct? Yes. And I love the way you write because you write for people who feel like history still exist like we are still in the historical moment and it's almost like you write in the present perfect so we are there in the moment even if we know what happened in the end uh, the story getting us there there's so many details that you find right they're just wildly impressive thanks and what helps us is because we're doing an hour special postponed because of the war and it's going to be on later but also what helps is to actually see the places and what happens is when you see the places and then you actually get a tour or a family member, which this one, they're a descendants mm. and they have like their albums. They help. We have pictures in there that have not been seen because you go to Tuskegee, they help out. Then they walk you around. So when you go and read the biographies of them or the autobiographies that they wrote, which are the best autobiographies when people write about themselves, um, as opposed to the unauthorized, mm. right? Yeah, the Kitty Kellys of the world. And they go see what yeah, they were actually talking about. That, that But you, you really do investigate like time the primary sources. And yeah. a lot of those primary sources are letters and diary entries. And, you know, I thought it was very sweet because the dinner between Booker T and TR is, you know, famous and emblematic. But you actually have the invitation and the response to the dinners in the book. Because... Now we're in a situation where we have a president that uses emails and pseudonyms. So it's Mm -hmm. not really going to be down in history. It's a lot harder now in the days of I don't trust anybody. But back then, instead of calling up Booker T or Blackberry back then, they were using Mm -hmm. Blackberries. Not many people know that. I put that. I break that news in the book Uh, because of the keyboard. (laughs) What? Right. (laughs) It's fantastic. It's a great shot of Booker T using a Blackberry, Mm -hmm. accepting the, uh, the, the ability to build Tuskegee. So I'm rewriting history. So I'm kidding. By the way, people watching, I'm kidding. Uh, the Blackberries were still a year or two off. Yeah, he was he was using an Apple Newton. So we would say instead of Booker T, yeah, let's get a hold of Booker T. You either send a messenger, or you write a note. Yes. And it gets over and it gets delivered. It's like, what does this say? Well, the president wants me to quote for dinner. He had a brief pause. Mm. He said, should I do this? He said, listen, new president, there a month. I'm his advisor. 
He wants to know about the South. He wants the black vote. Mm. I'm going to go over. And he goes over. And he eats with his family. And you and I think it's no big deal. And most people, I guess, two-thirds of the country think it's no big deal. But a third of the country think it's the worst thing that ever happened. At that point, a black man eating with a white family. What's going to be next? And as crazy as that, that was, that was the story in certain sections of this country and states and families in this country. Uh, and it charges you change little by little. And, this, and it really, since the Civil War, not fast enough. Compromise of 1876 that Brett Baer writes about. We have a hung up election 10 years after the Civil War. There's five or six states where we can't get a clear winner. We could keep counting. Yeah, those. and Rutherford B. Hayes really screwed the pooch on that one. Samuel Tilden or Rutherford B. Hayes, who's it going to be? And the Democrats say, I'll give you President Hayes, Republicans, but get the but Union But we have troops. to return the South to the, basically right. the antebellum institutional racism so we can ruin people's lives and, and kill at will. Right. But you jumped to the end. Instead, it was, <laughs> promise me you're not going to go back to the way you were and I'll yeah. move the troops out. And they say, you have totally my word. Totally doing it, yes. Yeah, totally doing word it. Word is stronger than oak. Yeah, right. No. And then no. they said, no, I'm going to do that. Are you mad at Hayes for that? I don't. I didn't study him well enough to know if he knew what he was getting into. Mm-hmm. After all, I'm picturing our country 11 years after of losing 600,000 people. Everybody in, in, that you knew lost someone directly or indirectly. Do they really want to not turn the page and risk blowing up the country again? Let's cut a deal. Because if you blow up the country again, it's we falling apart. It is, it is flimsy. England and France totally still sitting there like... Come on, man. Like, and they're like, these guys are going to survive this, come back together? If you put betting, uh, a betting person on that, you say, well, at least we have Lincoln. No, we don't have Lincoln. Mm-hmm. 1865, the Messiah that put it together, that said we got to fight to put it back together. Maybe we have to come apart. Now I'm going to stitch it together. And then John Wilkes Booth becomes what I think did more damage to any single, uh, to America than any single human being, including bin Laden. Because Lincoln was that special, not perfect, but that special, if he had lived through the 1860s, if anyone was going to do a third or fourth term, this guy in his 50s probably would have done it, that everyone was beginning to realize how special he was, we wouldn't have needed the 1960s. I mean, would it have been problems in the South? Absolutely. Would it have been problem telling someone for 150 years that blacks were not as good as whites and then you tell them to change on a dime? No. But those kids were less prejudiced. Those kids less prejudiced. And then when you see Booker T. Washington... And you see Frederick Douglass, in Booker T. Washington's case, to finish the theme, and you see this man stand straight up, speaks the king's English, have the motivational talk, be able to grow an institution from 35 people to to 1,500. And I walked on that campus. Roosevelt went there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't even know if it was at 1,500 at that point. It was but, because it was more people than were at Harvard. And then, and then when you, uh, and then when you think, even now, it reminds me because my two daughters went to small upper state, upstate schools. It reminds me of that, only cleaner, more motivated, uh, more, uh, more prideful because to what Tuskegee represents. So he goes there, forms this, and if you were, and you're not, if someone you knew was racist, he'd look at you, okay, I don't hate you, but I'm going to deal with the people that are not, and maybe you're going to see the way I act. See the way I hold myself. See my thousands of students that I'm putting out. See the contributions that they make, how Mm -hmm. smart they are, how polite they are. Because he taught them about life. Mm -hmm. The first thing he did, he traveled through the area to find out what these people wanted, what they needed. Because he was eating the same thing every day. They don't know how to eat. The hygiene, brush your teeth, how to clean, how to hold yourself. 
uh, how to present yourself, how to look people in the eye. He had to do everything, and he put it into school. He goes, his, the parents said, okay, here are my kids. They're in college. They said, okay, your kid's going to learn a skill. So when they weren't in the classroom, they had to pick an occupation. So whether it was for women, by the way, women were teaching, uh, seamstress, uh, they were, would learn some construction, be a blacksmith, turning, you, you're the best, you're still good at that. Mm. So they would learn a trade. And almost karate kiddish, they would actually build the university. So when, when they were done, hey, guys, we got to go build a building tomorrow. <laughs> so they're learning it, being supervised. Like uh, George Washington Carver is this leading edge agriculturist, and he uh, led the country in this way. He was a professor there. Mm. So then he was raising a whole bunch of other kids. So if you want to change people, don't yell at them. Don't fight with them. Don't mandate it. Watch. And don't and- don't other them, because that's what we're doing now. If I feel that that you have one contrary position to something that's very important to me, then you are automatically my enemy. Right. And I want nothing to do with you. I want to cancel you, and I want to aggressively push you out. Which of, is crazy. Yeah, it, it is crazy. But we're because, living this life. Because right. what Booker T. was doing was very different. I think there's an interesting contrast there between him and Frederick Douglass, because Frederick Douglass just thought once people are free, like that is the ultimate God-given human ideal. Once they're free, we will all be equal. And he really felt that. And Booker T. realized, like, no, there are a lot of jerks out there. And his his practicality, like the necessity, what people needed to learn, and not things like Latin and reading classics like they were doing at Harvard, which, you know, Roosevelt acknowledged, but he's, he was almost like the Mike Rowe of his generation. That, and that was so two years ago, maybe three, is I was working on this before Frederick Douglass because I read up from slavery, and he referenced Douglass. It's kind of cool. There is there is a link between uh, between Lincoln and, and, uh, and Lincoln and Teddy and... George Washington, uh, Booker T. Washington, and uh, Frederick Douglass. Once direct, Frederick Douglass came and spoke there. They got to know him. He looked up to him. And for T.R. at six years old, his dad said, come into the city. Abraham Lincoln's body's coming down Broadway. And he brought him to his grandfather's house and were able to see it. That, that iconic picture of Theodore Roosevelt, a young Theodore Roosevelt in the window overlooking the, the procession of Lincoln's body down Broadway. Right. I did a stand-up for the special on that from the ha- uh, from the building yeah. to where Broadway was, which is now full of skateboarders. Uh, and a it's lot a different of, time. Yeah, it's a different time. There were no Ubers back then, just taxis. And that's one thing people... <laughs> and I point that out in the book. <laughs> right, but there were Uber Eats. There wasn't was even an app for taxis. Right. You just had to stand outside and whistle for one. Can you imagine? Which young Theodore Roosevelt did. Right. The good news about living in that time, you don't have to worry about forgetting a password. No passwords. There were no passwords. Right, just Netflix. Not even the BlackBerry. Blackberry's wide open. Right. You lose your BlackBerry, right. someone's got your banking information. And I talk about it at page 71. I talk <laughs> about, uh, I go into banking and BlackBerry's a little detail. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, come on. And, right. and there was one quote that um, I wanted, uh, This I, I thought was so profound and interesting from Theodore Roosevelt's point of view in terms of his frustration before he ascended to the presidency where he could try and make a difference with some of the suggestions that Booker T. Washington was making to him. And he said, the man who occupies the vice presidency may at any moment be everything, but meanwhile, he is practically nothing. Did they stick TR there just to let him just blow in the wind until his political career was done? You know the answer to that. Yes. The answer is absolutely yes, because yes. he he, uh, he breaks things. He had became governor after a war hero. As he leaves us, being he was he was uh, assistant uh, secretary of the navy. This war breaks out and goes. I'm out. What do you mean you're out? I'm signing up. No, you're not. 
And then when they finally go, okay, you can sign up, you can go as a general. He goes, I'm not a general. He goes, are you kidding? I don't know anything. I just, I'm just a well-meaning, I like to be an officer, make me a colonel, hire a general. And he went in there and he fought and he comes back. He's a war hero in Montauk. And they go, listen, we need you to run for governor. They didn't know he was not going to abide by any of the old rules. He was going to question everything. He was not going to take any appointments that were assigned to him. And they said, okay, you're really popular. You'd win re-election, but I got something more important for you. William McKinley needs a running mate. And by the way, when McKinley gets shot, he survives for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And first off, they got to find Teddy Roosevelt. Where's the vice president? Top of the mountain. Right. Top of the mountain, hanging out. No blackberries back then. Or they had blackberries, no reception. No service. No service. (laughs) Because everyone complained about the towers. (laughs) This is, we're having fun. We don't want metal. We want trees, Right. How is is Kennedy going to save the world if I keep making stuff up? But (laughs) they get him and they they get him off. And he's like, okay, I'm going to be fine. He's going to be fine. He's going to tell you the president shot. The next time they find him, they go, he's he's dead. You got to get back. 2.15 in the morning. Right. So he's from train to horseback, whatever it is. Had to switch horses. Right. He it gets, wasn't pretty. He gets there, and he liked McKinley. Yeah. Uh, he respected him. Plus, McKinley's a war hero, too. Mm-hmm. And McKinley loved this guy, Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington has a goal. This is the other thing. Someone just asked me, Carol Markowitz just interviewed me on a, a podcast. She does not save the world, so she's no competition. Not yet. Right. She can get there. She. Uh, I don't even say a goal. I, I don't, I don't, she doesn't know if it's worth saving. More on that later. I encourage you to book her. She's in Florida. She doesn't care. She's yeah, like, Florida's great. great. Bye. Well, she was smart. Yeah. All right, she got out. Absolutely. Right. Don't go anywhere. More Kennedy Saves the World right after this. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. So McKinley loved She said, what, what did you learn from Booker T. Washington that you or these guys? I go, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Booker T. Washington was the precursor to Norman Vincent Peale, Napoleon Hill, Anthony Robbins, all those thinking grow rich people mm-hmm. and the uh, power of positive thinking. Because one of his dreams was, he goes, when this institution, he goes, for this to matter, I need the president to be uh, make my commencement address. This is when he has 35 people in one beaten down uh, shack. He would end up moving down the road and getting 100 acres. And the guy, he had to have students hold the umbrella over his head while he taught because there were holes in the roof. And he was dreaming, visualizing a president one day giving the commencement address. And next thing you know, he goes and sees McKinley. Mm-hmm. And then they go, yeah, that he met McKinley, on the, uh, who was in Atlanta. And they said, I'd love you to come my commencement address. And he's like, okay, I'll think about it. Then he went and saw him. And he sits there and he said, I'd like you to do that. And one of uh, McKinley's aides says, you need the black vote. This is the most popular man in America, black uh, man wow. in America. So you do it. And McKinley showed up and he was like, I cannot believe what I'm saying. I didn't think this was possible. And it reminds me of Benjamin Franklin said the same thing. He had slaves. He thought there was an inferior race until he sees an educated African-Americans. He said, I blew it. What was I thinking? Smartest man maybe ever. And most worldly. And at 74 years old, he's still helping write the Constitution. And he's out there and he said, I was wrong. I'm, I'm going to become, the rest of my life, I'm going to be an abolitionist. So it shows you can grow in life, but also shows what you visualize in life, no matter how big or small your goals are, personal and professional. Put it in paper, visualize it, and you never know. However it happens, things will happen for you if you want it enough. Your why is it great enough? Why? Because he didn't want to be famous, Booker T. Washington. He wanted to help as many people as possible. That's why he wanted McKinley there. Not to make Booker T. Washington famous, but to make Tuskegee matter. Mm-hmm. And then make more Tuskegee's uh, historical black colleges. What is his legacy? 
Oh, his legacy is education and, and trade and also overcoming. You know, one of the uh, quotes I have, uh, I think that everyone can learn. And it's, I just brought it up before. And I think it's probably, this is what I read to Mike Rowe, because people tend to make excuses. And, hmm, I just had it. Let me see. I'm picturing finding it. Here it goes. With few exceptions, the Negro youth must work harder and perform his tasks even better than a white youth in order to secure recognition. But out of the hard work and unusual struggle through which he is compelled to pass, he gets a strength and a confidence that one misses should their pathway be comparatively smooth by reason of birth and race. It's going to be tougher. But when you work your way through it, you're going to be better. Mm. So it's pretty tough when people are telling you, don't use that bathroom. Don't go to my school. Don't go on my highways. Don't go on my path. Don't marry a white woman. Don't date a black man. At the same time, yeah, it is tough. It is dangerous. There are people that don't want us to be free. But when you work your way through it and navigate your way through and prove your critics wrong, you're going to be a better person. And that's when you were born a slave at nine years old and you remember being called to the big house, the central house, and a Union soldier reading the Emancipation Proclamation and saying you're free. That's starting at the bottom, isn't it? No dad has to decide what he's going to do that day for dinner mm. and then tomorrow for lunch. And then what am I going to do to make a living? They headed to West Virginia, work in the salt mines. He willed his way towards an education. Reunited with his stepdad, Wash. Yeah. He was Wash Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And um, he was the one who put him in the salt mines. He said, I'd like to go to school. They go, I need the money. You can't go to school. Well, how does a guy who thirsts for education go to school? Well, one Split day, shifts. Right. But with, you're right. Uh, one day he, he hears his friends complaining about this woman, Mrs. Ruffner, Viola Ruffner. And she's impossible to please. I'm quitting this job. You're quitting this job. What are you talking about? This gets me out of the salt mines. I'm kind of claustrophobic anyway. He goes and meets her and he realizes she's not mean. She just wants things done right. And what she sees in him is somebody who thirsts to learn and grow. And she said he had boundless energy. And he said, what do you need? You've been so great with me. He said, I'd love to learn to read. And she starts helping him. And when he gets into Hampton, when he arrives at Hampton College, the way he finally proves himself, Kennedy, is they say to him, you're a mess. I can't put you in here. Comes back again. Look at you. You have no background. You have no shoes. You're, you know, take, you don't have, you're not clean. Finally, he comes back again. He goes, well... I need, basically, I need a janitor. Show me you can clean this room. Mrs. Ruffner taught him how to clean. And they were so good. They go, I want to watch you. Who helped you with this? I want to watch you do the other. Then they cleaned the whole school and said, you can go to school at night, uh, but you're going to clean this place during the day. And that guy becomes the best teacher, the best student, the best teacher. And when Tuskegee needs someone to lead it, this, uh, this General Armstrong, a white guy, mm-hmm. recommends this 24-year-old Another black war teacher. hero. But all in vision. Yes. It's all visual. I need to read. So, I learned to write. But what is it about Things some happen. people that they they have this, it's not only a desire, but a need um, that, that's so deep within them to pay it forward? Because obviously what happened with him, he replicated that experience for other pe- people. And that doesn't happen to everyone. Like, you know, people oftentimes when they struggle, they emerge with 
bitterness and resentment, but that, that didn't happen there. And he made it his life's work to make sure that when he met people who wanted to learn and work as hard as he did, that he was going to assist them. First, uh, when he, by the way, great observation. Uh, he also would work in the fields in the beginning. He says, no, no, you're going to work. I'm going to work with you. So they're chopping down trees, doing things, and he's leading it. So they go, okay, if this guy's going to lead it, I'm going to do it. And he, got, he was authentic. Number two, I think he was naturally an optimistic person. And number three, he wanted to give people hope because for some reason, I do think some people are born where, the, where it's always raining and it's always gray and some people always see the bright side. I think he was driven to matter. And I think he had important mentors along the way. He had a teacher at at uh, Hampton College that basically taught him how to enunciate and speak in front of people and command an audience. White. He had Mrs. Ruffner. White. General Armstrong. White. So any resentment that he might have had or inequity, these people saw him as a great uh, someone who's a, like a a diamond that needed to be polished. Mm-hmm. They didn't see him as a black guy, and he. If he had resentment towards white people, how does it explain how he got there? It doesn't mean there was no racism. So when he got there, he said, I, I got to spread the word. And I think it's an important moment instead of hoarding and getting a big mansion. And they said, they obviously would say to him, Andrew Carnegie would say to him, you know, I'm paying you. I'll take care of this. You, you're working too hard. Go on vacation. You don't need to do this. I'll put someone in your place. He said, absolutely not. If you're going to give me money, it's going right to the institution. And I think people appreciated that. He could have lived in the North or lived in Europe and treated like a king. Mm-hmm. But he said, no, I have to. I have to do it in the South. That's what made it so special. But also, Kennedy, as you know, uh, it also brought critics. They say you're very too accommodating. You're too compliant. You just saw, you just uh, witnessed lynchings in two or three places, obviously unjust because of some person being uppity with whites or uh, mistakenly being accused of, um, harassment or dating them. And he said, why do you do anything? He said, because I have to worry about this institution. If I become an activist for each individual cause, my institution fails. I become a lightning rod. This whole place gets burned down. Mm-hmm. But what he would do is under the wire, pay, get, a, get these people lawyers, help out their families. When people would come up to him and say, you know, I'm being chased, it'll look like he blew them off. But what he would do is come with me out the back door He's not here. He's called two famous cases. And they said, how could you let him out? And they write bad things about him in the papers. But they found letters thanking him later because he knew it was in the best interest of the greater good for him to not be somebody associated with racism and polarization. Mm -hmm. He knew it was wrong. But at this point, the best thing for him is to worry about that college and grow thousands of more people that will change thousands of other perceptions of of Americans and people abroad, and he did. I mean, That's obviously, he and Theodore Roosevelt needed each other. But what did they have in common? When the more you read about them, because obviously they come from very very different backgrounds. You know, Theodore Roosevelt was he came from a family of means. You know, he he had six children. He went to Harvard. You know, he 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 was a fancy lad. Uh, this he, this was not hard scrabble for him, but, but what did he and Booker T have in common? What was the commonality you found? Well, number one, they both struggled in, when they were young. I mean, they used to do this thing. He was he was so they didn't think he would survive asthma, and it wasn't just Roosevelt, a, a, Teddy Roosevelt. So I asked his great grandson, who is now in his seventies, maybe eighties, probably eighties, and he remembers playing at Sagamore Hill with Teddy's wife, running, still living in Sagamore Hill. For him, that was a place he grew up in, and she would explain that. And she, Edith knew when he was younger, said it was so bad 
they thought this was a cure. They'd make him drink um, liquor. Mm-hmm. They would blow cigar smoke in his in his <laughs> mouth, in his face. But they thought he was going to die because he was so bad. He went to school. Yeah. He was probably 90 pounds. Yeah. So he knows what it was like. Number one, isolated. No friends. Uh, when he did go out because he couldn't go to regular school because he was always homeschooled because he was always so sickly, he'd get beat up a lot. Okay? So he had a situation where he worshipped his parents but he didn't have a normal childhood. He had to be doted on. When he finally gets Harvard, he knows absolutely no one. Not really great intellect. Not a great body. He was able to weave himself in. And then he sees himself very common with the common guy. Why? Because when he became police commissioner, he didn't sit there and say to the cops, hey, let's go off a party tonight. He gave them a sense of discipline, sent up, sent up their first ever academy, told them that everyone's going to wear a gun. You're going to wear this uniform. And then he went and spent his time trying to get immigrants who had no rights out of the cigar shops and gave them out of the um, out of the slums and exposed them and and put them from the underclass to at least the lower class. And then when you think about what made him special is that he experienced where Booker T. Washington experienced extreme poverty as a slave and then knows what it was like to work in a salt mine and work his way up, go 400 miles with absolutely no transportation and walk half of it, uh, hop onto wagons on the other half and then finally arrive. Teddy Roosevelt was someone who took his wealth, put it aside, and when it became a rancher and a cowboy in the Midwest that weren't even states yet, they mm-hmm. were territories, and was with one of the guys. So he, uh, he knows what it's like to be a slave, and then Booker T. Washington knows what it's like to be uh, a worker, then he knows what it's like to go to a college, then he knows what it's like to be with the ultra-rich, and never forgot where he came from. Teddy starts with the ultra-rich, knows what it's like in the working class, goes up to the higher class, and then when he gets into a position of power, he takes on the corporations mm-hmm. and, starts, and patronage and patronage, and says, no, you're going to share the wealth. That would be something that maybe the antithesis of what people think a Republican would do now. He would be for the, you know, before the unions then. I don't know if he'd be for them now, but it was for the working man. But yet he was anything but. He'd go into these... Uh, to these bureaucracies. And his first uh, job in Washington was to basically gut it and get people accountable for their jobs. They would just sit there and keep it for uh, generations. And he gutted it, made people put in an honest day's work. Now, if you come from a person of wealth, if you're an area of wealth, you don't really know the 12, 14-hour day to make ends meet. And sooner or later, they crossed paths from extreme wealth because uh, Booker T. Washington ended up being a person of wealth and hanging out with the upper-class crowd. He left the upper-class crowd for the working-class crowd and was able to navigate both exceptionally well. I think he was probably the most prepared president, even though he was uh, uh, 50, than anybody else, 48, than anybody else, Teddy Roosevelt. Knew the Midwest, knew the rich, knew the poor, knew law knew enforcement. South. His mom was from the South. And he also sat from, that's very important. And uh, he also knew uh, fight for white and fight in war, the military. Mm-hmm. He was patriotic. He also wore, wrote the book of uh, War of 1812. Mm-hmm. They say that it's still virtually a virtual handbook that the Navy still uses to teach their people about early uh, Navy operations and the code. So I just think there's somebody who started uh, diametrically different, won over certain hurdles. Obviously, you're born a slave. It's worse than asthma. Don't let anyone watch Kennedy Saves the World and say Brian says asthma is bad as slavery. <laughs> it is not true. But also, but near death is near death. Yeah. And he was near dying. And when he got an episode, they didn't know what to do. They just sit there and stare and wonder if their kid's going to start breathing again. I mean, That's pretty brutal. Yeah, it's, it's, but the, the transformation that both, took upon themselves and then realized what they needed yeah. in each other, it makes for a fantastic read. And, and your book's so well-written, so readable, and full of joy and curiosity. So 
Thank Keep you Keep them coming, much. Brian. All right. I love it. I think I'm retiring at this. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah, I'm retiring have, at this. You have many more books in you, and I can't wait to see what you write about next. I can't, this is a beautiful studio. You Thank built you it yourself? Much. I did. Yeah, I'm like... A lot of people say I'm the Booker T. Washington of Fox because they, they sent, like, engineers and lighting people in here. I was like, no, 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 I, I'm going to do it. Really? That's not what I heard. I heard that you had it. I meant to do it. You meant to do it. Right. Yeah. I, I, right. Well, I wouldn't say I would have, but... Right. It didn't really come... That, nothing about that I was, was true. busy. Right, Brian. right, right. Now you're defensive. <laughs> All right. Again, with, you know what people are going to... Our critics going to run with Brian Kilmeade says that uh, asthma is worse than slavery. Well, you know... It's, <laughs> I, it's I did not book. say that. Yeah. It's page 71 and a half. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Daddy and Booker T. Get it now. Order it. BrianKilmeade.com. That's and, where and, you get the... And after this, by the way, just go to BrianKilmeade.com. Find out where it'll be. Yes. They're going to be everywhere. Yeah, you're answering questions, you're taking names, and you're uh, you're putting people to work. Right. Building like your house, which I think is very brave of you. From from the start. <laughs> I wish I had some skills. I, as I closed that book, the one thing I thought of, I really can't do much. Because <laughs> I, I would have disappointed him. They're like, you know math, you know science, but you're not a good blacksmith. You're a terrible agriculturist. <laughs> That's one thing about me. I try to be a blacksmith. No openings. I mean, what about a farrier? Right? <laughs> yeah. What about a farrier? Yeah, but you could do both. Right. But little no, shoes no and, and opulent coats. Right. I look forward to it, Brian. Does this does this podcast ever really end or nope. you just more people just <laughs> weave in? It's just like a party <laughs> that never stops. Did you do you ever do you drink on the air? Do you ever drink with this? This like, is water. Ever, oh, okay. How do you get three cameras? I have one camera. That's shocking to me. Well, I have two cameras. If, if I come in here next podcast and one of these is missing, I know where to go. It'll be me. <laughs> Kenny <laughs> saves the world, but not all the cameras. Thank you, Brian Kilmeade. Thank you for having me on. You're a wonderful historian and human being. Really? Yes. I appreciate you. I'm going to sniff my Sharpie. Right. This has been Kennedy Saves the World, along with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Kennedy. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.